Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Pat Salberg with the American Journal of Managed Care, and we're doing the second ever uh, podcast. And I have with me today a very interesting guest, uh, Travis Broom, who is a health economist at Allidade. Did I get that right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the Allidade. I guide all of our ACOs through their policies and trying to make sure all the great work they do on population health actually um, has, succeeds in the various financial models that are out there in the world now. Well, I thought we'd start, Travis, by having you tell us a little bit about Allidade's mission for mm-hmm. people who may not know what you're up to. And if you could uh, weave into that a little bit about how Allidade is different from all the other companies, mm-hmm. consulting-type companies, in particular, um, Evelyn Health. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's your differentiator? Sure. Your mission and your differentiator. Yeah, we were founded uh, two years ago by uh, Dr. Farzad Mishari and uh, Matt Kendall, who um, to really focus in, and this is our, our probably our biggest differentiator for most, on the independent primary care physician practices. Um, Farzad had spent about a year at Brookings kind of looking at the ACO model, working um, through it, and really decided that not only were primary care physicians best positioned due to their relationship with their patients, due to their you know mindset of primary care to do the work of population health, but the ones who were independent practices were also very well positioned to succeed in the ACO model. Um, so that is who we serve, it's who we partner with, we, we partner with them, and probably we put everything around them that they need to succeed in both doing population health well and the financial models like the ACO model from we build our own in-house tech and analytics but most importantly and obviously we guide them through policy um, with my job but most importantly we put someone in their practice call them practice transformation specialists four hours a week to really convert everything that the big data and technology and everything says okay, great, but what Mrs. Smith comes in tomorrow, what am I going to do different for her than if I didn't have all that stuff? Um, and how am I going to know if Mr. Jones should have come in but didn't? Um, okay. And that's really where we, where we laser in focus for those practices. So you're really a startup because you're only two years old, um, but uh, it looks like you've grown pretty rapidly. Can you give us some of the basic statistics? How many uh, ACOs have you formed? How many covered lives are there or sure. patients? Yeah, we actually had our um, an all-staff meeting for the company just uh, yesterday and grown to over 100 employees, a long way from the first all-staff I went to in Farzad's basement. And it is the, we have had a great reception from those primary care physicians and growing. We, assuming everything goes fine and we're in the final stages here with, with CMS, We'll have over 16, we'll have 16 ACOs for 2017, uh, covering between commercial contracts and Medicare shared savings program. We'll have a, almost 200,000 lives um, attributed to our various ACOs across 15 states in 2017. Of eight ACOs running now, 93,000 lives. Well, that's a big career. jump for next year. Yeah, so like I said, the, the physicians have been extraordinarily 
receptive to the idea, particularly once we get into a market. So I had the privilege of standing up the Louisiana ACO, for instance. Scrimped, scrapped, you know, got the five to find five practices to put together to make a minimum size ACO. Um, once we started working with those practices, word got out, and now there's 19 or more practices in Louisiana for the next year. So I, I want to stop you there and drill down a little bit because um, some people would say you picked the subset of the physician population that would be the least likely to be successful at this transformation. A lot of people think that small practices, independent practices are fading away and mm -hmm. aren't part of the future and that a lot of the independent docs are more on the cowboy side mm -hmm. than the docs who've gone to be employed by hospitals. How have you addressed, well first of all, is that is that true mm -hmm. in your mind? And secondly, if it is true, how have you addressed it and managed to whip up the enthusiasm of, of these uh, physicians who um, a lot of people would have said would have been the toughest group to work with? Yeah, so, so that is definitely, I mean, you know, driving three hours out to recruit one practice in Kansas um, is, is certainly, you know, something we, we put in the work on the front end for, um, but we think it's worth it really for two reasons. One, I think that the independence that they have, the, the kind of cowboy attitude and being a small business owner and a physician frees them up to not worry about things like demand destruction. So if they prevent a hospitalization, they don't have to worry about the fact that that means that the hospital didn't get $10,000. They could just feel good that they prevented hospitalization for their patient. Um, the other thing that we found and um, was, and I'll fall back on Louisiana again because that's um, what I'm most familiar with, is they really wanted and, and crave and really have really fallen into coming together again and talking about their patients again. The board, all of our ACOs, once they're up and formed, are taken over by a board of the physicians who participate and run by those physicians. And it was like my third board meeting in Louisiana where I had two of the docs come up to me, known each other for 10 years or more, and they made the comment that, you know, we see each other our kids' baseball games, we see each other's activities. It has been over five years since we talked about healthcare between each other. Um, and the board meetings and the ACO kind of brought them back together, maybe in a way that you know the old-fashioned doctor's lounge did at hospitals to really talk about healthcare. Um, so I think, you know, A, they're, they're small business owners. They see the financial opportunity once it can be laid out for them and once you reach out to them. And two, they like coming together in a community of physicians to work on stuff they really care about, because population health is part and parcel with primary care. Um, and they see the uh, financial and uh, professional benefits. So it sounds like you're making medicine fun again. Hopefully. <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about what you've accomplished. So mm -hmm. it's great that you've grown staff. It's great that um, you are going to have a huge number of patients if all goes well right. in 2017. Um, but what have you really accomplished? What kind of concrete uh, financial um, uh, achievements can you share with us and as well as quality achievements are you doing what you set out to do sure so um, Farzad and I with you know the help of, of many others at Allidate actually published a paper not too long ago in AJMC kind of laying out 2015 and our experience with 2015 and really what our experience in our two ACOs our two ACOs that we kind of built from the ground up um, in 2015 was 
that utilization side is something you can, if you focus on, you can make big movements on. So for instance, those two ACOs, our eight new ACOs, readmissions, we've been able to attack all across the country in 2016 so far with the eight and certainly So give us some numbers. Yeah, so it was 13 and 15% reductions in readmissions for um, those two ACOs, um, primary care in Delaware. And do you know how much that translated into savings? Well, see, this is the this is one of the learning lessons that we found, particularly on the hospital side, is that reduction in utilizations is not lockstep um, with reduction in cost. In fact, both of those ACOs, even though hospitalizations themselves went down, um, total hospitalizations went down nine and two percent respectively. The individual cost per hospitalization. Um, despite going down nationwide somehow in those two areas went up so much that overall hospital costs rose. Oh, do you think the hospitals were uh, raising their prices in response yeah, to your, was, your, your There was, you know, you know we, we haven't uh, been able to ferret it out, but across four different states, it seems likely that there was some kind of response there of, you know, more intense coding. Um, there was also some kind of unique things that happened in 2015, big emphasis on sepsis that probably prevented, you know, did some great work on the quality side for sepsis, but probably had some overbilling as well um, for that. And so, yeah, so we kind of, you know, we'll, we'll know for sure. We're starting to see this in other markets um, as well as we reduce hospitalizations in 2016. So with the much bigger sample size of 2016, we'll be able to know whether it was truly kind of that demand and response, but it certainly... Uh, appears that way. Um, but it, it turns out that that's actually a really important issue, I absolutely. think, because mm -hmm. if people are going to do this work, if they're going to, you know, it's hard work to transform what you've done in the past right. to something new. And if they're going to be rewarded with, you know, higher costs mm -hmm. out of their control, because they can't control how the coding or the billing takes place mm -hmm. on the hospital side, that could be a threat to what you're trying to do overall. So how are you going to actually get to that uh, information that you need. Sure. Yeah, so the, you know, we are looking at, become, uh, I feel like I've learned more about billing um, in the last two years than I did at uh, seven years of CMS before this. Um, really trying to understand, you know, kind of why that happens, how that happens, to really fair it out of like, hey, look, you know, was it, was it a fluke or was it, you know, in response to reduced utilization? Was it simply to protect revenue? Um, you know, most of the data we need to do that, the, the raw data is given to us by the payers, be it Blue Cross Blue Shield or, or CMS. Um, it's just digging in and understanding the billing practices is really uh, a challenge. The other thing that we're really pushing hard for on C CMS and others is right now they use that national inflation factor when they update the benchmark. So I, I you know, don't think that the hospitals are doing it you know, just to allocate. I think they're just doing it because the revenue came down, right, um, in the area. So if we use kind of regional benchmark and really focused in on the idea of did a patient get better care in the ACO or that same patient in that same area um, would have, if there hadn't been the ACO and used kind of regional adopt factors, stuff like that, um, the ACOs wouldn't be penalized for because, again, I don't think they're doing it 
to us. I think it's just happening in Delaware. It's just happening in that area of Arkansas. Um, so I think regional updates could really make it happen, and then we'll obviously do what we can do to, to get smarter about it for our Allidate-specific ACS. So let's talk about quality, because you mm -hmm. brought that up. Um, can you give me any examples of quality achievements or quality milestones? Uh, have, you, have you actually moved the needle on quality? Yeah, we've, we've done really well on quality in our, in our first two ACOs in 2015. Um, one was in the top 15% of all ACOs and one was in the top third, despite both being in their first years. But really what we've been focusing on with our physicians a lot is trying to change the way they look at quality from a compliance mindset to an outcome mindset. And the best example of that was we were introducing the quality measures, the ACO quality measures, one of which is flu immunizations. And one of the physicians asked, like, um, well, what if the patient refuses, or what if I'm out of the vaccine? You know, what are the exclusions so I can do well on, on the measure? And as far as that happened to be at that board meeting, he was like, doesn't matter. And the physician kind of looked at him, but I want to score really well on the measure. He's like, no, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, we're in this for the outcomes and for shaving, and if the patient does not get the flu shot, they might get the flu, right? The whole purpose of the flu shot is to prevent the flu, not to score well on a measure. So we've been trying to both create that change in um, that mindset coupled with EHR optimization and making sure that their EHRs are set up in a way that they are capturing everything they need to capture to score well on a, on a measure, but at the same time keeping the physician focused on not how did I do on the flu shot measure, but how many cases of flu did I prevent? Right. Oh, that's excellent. Um, so the other, the other part of quality is also satisfaction. Um, have you done formal satisfaction surveys, both with the patients mm -hmm. and, and just as important, I think, are with the doctors? Because we know with this epidemic of burnout that's going on, physician burnout, if the doctors aren't happy, um, they're not making patients sure, happy. Absolutely. So what can you tell us about both the, of those uh, measures? The, yeah, we, we actually, um, well, the, the patient side, we measure at the ACO level to be, you know, compliant with all the payers and things, but we also send out individual practice level uh, CAP surveys for all of our practices so our practices can know how to do. And we actually include uh, Matt Kendall, the, the co-founder of Allidate, is a, a big believer in the net promoter score um, measurement. Why don't you explain what that is? Yeah, so this is simply uh, the net promoter score. You simply ask, um, you know, would you recommend this doctor in this case, or would you recommend Costco in other cases, uh, to a friend, um, to someone else as a, a solution for it? And the way the scoring works is basically it's a one to ten, but you don't get any credit for a seven or eight. Seven or eight is considered like you know neutral plan. Six and worse is bad. Nine and tens are good. Seven and eights are basically you know taken out. And so we kind of tack that on to the back of our CAP survey on the individual patient level. And our two ACOs in 2015 scored 74 and 78.5. Out of 100, it doesn't sound that impressive. For MPS, that is insanely good. Health insurance in general is like in the teens. Um, but even more remarkable, I thought, was when we sent out those surveys, and this is what really floored kind of the company we did this, 
this is a, it's a cap survey. It's 15 pages yeah. that you get in the mail. Well, it's 12, it's 12, sorry, ARC. It's only 12. We added another three pages to get our questions in there. Um, but it is, you know, they, patient got a 15 page survey in the mail. And the only em emphasis they had to return it, you know, we didn't pay for it, we didn't do anything else, was it had their physician's name on it. Um, and 48.6% of the folks who got that survey returned it, which is an insanely high response rate. Yeah, that's amazing. Response, right? um, so that you is- You get 15% from right, the exactly. Well, like our ACL yeah. level only got like in the 20s. Um, so it is, um, is really remarkable. Um, we take that same attitude with, with, with the physicians as well. Um, we have everyone in the company, be they a software developer, be it myself, be it Farzad, be it the person who's in the practice. Um, each quarter, you know, makes MPS calls to various physicians in the practices. Um, we're not quite in the 70s yet, but we're, we're getting better and up in the 50s and so, and, and looking forward to that. So we want to make sure, in the questions, of, of the questions we ask, one of the best one we score on is not how great the tech is, not like, oh, you figured help me out with this building question, but the question is, you know, are Allidade's interests aligned with mine? Um, and we score very well on that because that's really our goal is to partner with them in value-based care. Because you don't make money if they don't make money. Absolutely. We and are you making money? Well, we did not get savings in our two 2015 ACOs, as we, you know, discussed at length in the AGMC papers, all the various reasons why. We talked about some of them here. Um, so we're we have we're looking at 20. We only have the first half of, of quarterlies in for 2016. You know, some ACOs are looking well. Um, other ACOs still have some work to do. So we're hopeful for 2016, and we'll obviously keep plugging away with a, our two and a half months that we have left. Um, but it is a is the results from the, the program so far showed it is a long term game. Uh, you know, yeah. So how are you? Um, how are you funded? How so, is Allidade getting along? How are you getting paid? Right. <laughs> or so are you getting paid? Allidade is a, uh, a venture capital backed <laughs> company. Um, you know, Farzad and our CTO Edwin Miller and Matt went out to uh, Venrock um, actually in the first and. You know, Series A, we've since gone through another round of funding as well. So we um, take, you know, we have venture capital behind this core concept that's not Medicare shared savings program, not even necessarily the ACO model, but behind the core concept that medical costs have to come down. That 10 years from now, a 75-year-old can't cost per capita what it costs today, not with the baby boomer generation coming, not with everything else. So we kind of have this window of 10 to 15 years where physicians like the physicians we partner with, people who care about healthcare like the folks who work at Allidate, kind of have that, this opportunity to kind of do it right, to really you know, reduce that cost and save that money. Um, between now and then before it becomes like an economic demographic imperative. Um, so that is what the, our, both us and, and our funders are, are, are banking on is that you know, we can figure out good ways to do that and share in the savings along the way. Well, uh, you know, it's a great concept, and um, I mentioned to you that I did interview Farzad shortly mm -hmm. after he started it. We touched bases again about a year later, mm -hmm. so it's really fun to see the continued success 
um, of, of what you're trying to do because I'm completely with you. It's the right thing to do. It's good for patients, good for doctors, good for hopefully the economy. Mm -hmm. I thought we'd close uh, just by talking about the hot topic sure. for a minute, and that's the uh, final regs for MACRA. Mm -hmm. um, I've read lots of stories because lots of stories are being written, <laughs> and they range from, you know, UGG to uh, can't do it because the data's not good enough to, hey, this is really going to be good for us. Where Where is Allidate? What do you think about the final regs? Yeah, I think the, the biggest macro thing we took away from the final reg is that CMS really went out of its way to meet physicians where they are. So for our physicians who are already in ACOs, ready to take on that kind of responsibility, because at the end of the day, all an ACO is, is a group of docs came together and said, these are my patients, I'm going to be responsible for them. And they lowered the risk. So the advanced alternative payment models used to be have this rule of total cost of care for a 10,000 person ACO in Medicare might be $100 million. And you had to take 4% risk on that to qualify as an advanced APM, or 4 million bucks. I'm picking easy numbers, obviously, here on purpose. Um, whereas our primary care physicians, they might only capture $4 million of that $100 million as revenue. So it's like, I can't take risk on all my revenue. I have to make payroll, right? I run a small business. So what CMS did is, again, kind of meeting physicians where they were, is rather than basing it on total cost of care, they said, OK, Congress gave us this idea that it was supposed to be more than nominal amount or more than very small an amount of risk. So to right-size it to different organizations, to right-size it where they are, we'll make it on 8% of revenue. So rather than $4 million, if I only got $4 million, it would be 8% of that. If I got $40 million, it'd be 8% of that. If I got $400 million, it'd be 8% of that to qualify. So we think that was huge for our advanced stocks. Not everyone's there. We talk to practices all the time that are not ready to do this yet, not ready to begin an ACO. So the transitional year that CMS announced in a blog post um, a long time ago and finalized in the, in the final rule where you can, you know, as long as you interact, as long as you don't sit on the sidelines and as long as the physicians interact with MIPS and value in some way, they won't be penalized in 2017, I think was really important because it sent a clear message that, you know, CMS understands that not everybody can go full board tomorrow. But at the same time, we can't have people sitting on the sidelines anymore either. What seems to me that what you just described mm -hmm. is going to bode very well for your company because if you're sitting on the sidelines and you're trying not to sit on the sidelines, mm -hmm. very hard to do without the kind of help that mm -hmm. companies like like yep. Allidate are, are bringing to these stocks. So I want to thank you very much for spending time with us and talking about the successes that you've had. And hopefully we'll be able to touch base maybe in a year and you can tell us how it went to, to jump from the 16,000 patients to the 200,000 <laughs> uh, and what that meant in terms of, of stresses on your, your company, but successes of your ACOs and most importantly, better care for patients. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me.